Welcome to episode 14 of Rice Spear Radio, direct to you from a pretty rainy evening here in Tamaki, Makoto. For anyone new to the show, we're a podcast that focuses on all things local government. I'm your host, Nathan Spear, and I'm the managing partner of Rice Spear, a dedicated local government law firm helping councils make enduring decisions all over New Zealand. Apologies for missing last month's episode. We had our hands pretty full here at Rice Pier, moving into our new premises at Level 14, 23 Custom Street in Auckland CBD. It's been about six years since we last moved, but Fiona Bird and her team did an incredible job, and we thoroughly enjoyed a pretty quiet beer last Friday overlooking Auckland Harbour. If we let you down last month, we're certainly trying to make it up for it here, and we think we have. The pride of Hokitika, Robert Wright, or Buster, as we all know him, is quick-witted and as funny as ever during this wide-ranging interview with our very own Helen Rice. From tales of driving tractors on the beach using mum's nylons to the Hokitika frying pan tennis open, there are just so many stories here that we've had to split the interview into two parts. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the podcast, it really does help us get the word out there for our our local government community and a final big thank you to our sponsor Maynard Marks. You can find out more information at maynardmarks.co.nz. Without further ado, here's part one of Helen and Buster's conversation direct from Christchurch and don't forget to tune in on the 20th of next month to hear Buster bring it home. Welcome, Robert, to our Rice Spear podcast. It's great to be in the Garden City today. Morena, and thank you for agreeing to be interviewed. I think this is the first time I've called you Robert in 20 years. We all fondly know you as Buster. How did the name Buster come about? Uh, yeah, kia ora, um, Helen. And um, yeah, it, it does seem a wee bit strange when you're... Um, calling me Robert. I did turn around and look to see if my mum was here. (laughs) Um, Oddly enough, it was her who gave me the name um, Buster. Um, Apparently I could walk at seven months old without much ability to to know which direction I was going and so I used to smash into things. And I did have a bit of a knack for breaking whatever I grabbed. So um, hence she called me Buster and that was before um, a dog... Uh, Roll Food Company um, had the name, so I, I can claim the name first. But it is unfortunate that, that, that some the, the name Buster does sit up on a lot of pavements on a wee a wee sandwich board. Buster Dog Rolls, <laughs> and it's a name that's stuck. It's endured and it fits you. I like it. So Buster, your hometown is Hokitika, yeah, and that's yeah. known as the cool little town on the west coast. It is the most beautiful part of New Zealand. I recently holidayed there after our lockdown ended in May, and I was amazed at the size of the driftwood on the beach and the driftwood art. And I, I was wondering, when you were a lad, was all that beach driftwood and artwork around back in the day? Well, the, the art um, stuff wasn't wasn't there, but the driftwood was certainly there, and, and we helped... Um, we helped with that load because uh, I, I can recall fondly 
my father with an old David Brown tractor, which had a, a hoist on it. Um, the, on the hoist was a saw bench that um, he stood on, and it had a, the hoist had a tow bar on it which towed a trailer. So we would drive this thing down to the beach. Dad would um, uh, point the tractor um, north, um, tie the steering wheel to the gear stick with a pair of mum's nylons, and um, put it in crawl, and this thing would crawl along the beach. Um, mum and I would throw driftwood onto the hoist. He would saw it in half or saw it up with the, the saw beach and then throw it onto the trailer. So we would go from from um, Gibson Key uh, in the south all the way up to the north belt and then uh, we'd have a load of firewood and we'd drive home. So that was the firewood expedition. So driftwood in the beach... Um, a uh, 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 pretty um, dear to my heart. Um, you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to do that now. You'd need a um, you'd need an extraction consent from the regional council, um, plus probably some approval from NZTA um, to have the vehicle on the beach. Uh, probably illegal to have it steering with a nylon. Um, you'd probably have um, trouble with SIPs because of making a child do. Um, <laughs> do work like that. So, um, you know, isn't it amazing how society's advanced? And you're still alive to tell the tale. And, and did you set a trend? Were any other tractors on the beach? Dad was pretty ingenuitive like that. I mean, he, he was, a, a among other things, a pilot and a, a, um, an aircraft engineer. Uh, um, so, yeah, he, he had um, a few... A few uh, Good ideas like that. I think that's where I get my fantastic um, ideas from. So, yeah. So growing up on the West Coast was quite the experience. And um, tell me a bit more about it. Fantastic place to grow up, although in any place in New Zealand without the internet would have been fantastic to grow up, I think. Um, I I'm, um, can proudly remember telling my parents maybe at the age of five or six so they could drop me anywhere and I could take it on and find my way home. I, I think there's only um, 27 streets, um, a population of 3,000 at that time, but it was a, it definitely was the, the coolest place to grow up. But uh, one of the things that made it that way were the people. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a real a real sense of community and, and still is for me, uh, people look out for each other. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it can be a bit claustrophobic, everyone knows your business, but... Um, they know your business when you're in trouble as well, and, and that's when community is um, is at its strongest, I think. We're also pretty lucky to spend a lot of time in South Westland. Our family farm was in a place called Whararaa, which is, uh, I guess, north of um, Franz and Okarito. So we spent mm-hmm. most of our holidays um, uh, and other working time on the farm as we got older, go and help the uncles um, uh, bring in the, uh, the cattle from the riverbed and... Um, do the tagging and the um, castrating. Um, that's where we learnt what mountain oysters were. Um, and spent a lot of time at Okaredo as well. With um, My great-grandfather was the harbour master there and my nana was the teacher and her classroom is now the dock youth hostel, I think. So, yeah, some great great history and great memories from, for, from down in South Westland. Beautiful. So Franz Joseph Glacier, when I was there uh, in June, uh, my husband and I visited it and we had been there 30 years ago when we were university students and excited we were to go back to see the glacier and shocked 
Yeah. Absolutely shocked at how much it has shrunk. Yeah. It is tiny compared to when we saw it 30 years ago. So, Global warming, Helen. I know, not according to President Donald Trump. Yeah, yeah. But, wow, it is small. Now, I understand you're a man who can ace it. Uh, you're a New Zealand great in many things, but in your younger days, on the tennis court, I understand you won the West Coast Under-16 and 18 Doubles Championship. Did you think about tossing in school and becoming a tennis pro? Um, I thought about tossing in school um, lots of times, <laughs> but not to be a tennis pro. Um, we lived next to a tennis court, and um, my mum was a great sports uh, person, so she encouraged us to to play as many sports as we can. and used to drag us around the West Coast for athletics, but um, yeah, tennis was something that we focused on a, a, a lot. Um, so growing up next to a tennis court was pretty helpful. Um, once again, no internet, so we had to do something with that time. Spent a lot of time playing tennis, absolutely loved it. Um, and, um, you know, uh, my time in London, I went to Wimbledon three times, I think. So, yeah, absolutely loved that opportunity to see that. Um, wasn't much good at singles, couldn't ever get anywhere that. So I, I was um, a good team player, I suppose, and that, that sort of thing has stuck with me a wee bit. Um, but yeah, great um, memories of those tournaments up in um, Reefton and Greymouth, um, away from Okataka, when we were um, younger people. But um, no, the, the 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 thought of turning turning pro was a wee bit beyond my mm-hmm. realm. Um, I did try and um, reinvent the game using uh, frying pans, um, <laughs> but that was more of a Sunday after a few beers type event. But, um, yeah, the, the Hokitika frying pan open never quite got off the ground to the extent that I wanted, but there was an attempt at least. It sizzled. Too, too right, yep. It's fizzled? Fun. Yep. So what about other team sports growing up in the West Coast? Were you a rugby fan? Um, rugby mad, like most kids at that time, you know. Um, played a lot of lot of rugby and, and um, as a, 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 I got injured playing rugby at one point. It must have been about... 14 to 15 and um, discovered um, football or soccer and um, that, that really appealed to me as well but r- rugby was what I was um, probably built better for um, and um, yeah did, did, did well I think um, um, played for the West Coast for a couple of seasons and um, really really enjoyed that um, although we um, used to get a few hidings in those days but it was good great fun getting around New Zealand and, and meeting those meeting different people from different teams and having those challenges. Um, and for, for me, I was a pretty dedicated goal kicker, so I realised sometimes I'd got in the teams because of that ability, but um, I also could uh, felt I was a really strong strong distributor of the ball, um, not much of a tactician, a reasonably good tackler, and yeah, pretty, pretty quick, quick enough to get a few games on the wing sometimes. But mostly at um, halfback, surprisingly, um, I think I was probably the top point scorer in the cl- local club competitions for a few years in a row. So, yeah, that that sort of thing um, uh, it was great fun for me. Once again, it was about the the team, and you know, I look back on those times now and with real fondness with the characters because I started playing senior rugby when I was seventeen, and I look back at the older people now and um, look at the different leadership traits that some of them had and I was fortunate with um, uh, A, to play with some really good friends and B, 
to play with some really good players. Mm. Um, yeah, so th- those those um, lessons in life and, and memories have stuck with me um, all my life. You know, I still go to the go to the races with some of the people I played rugby with. So, yeah, such uh, formative years, those yeah. young years, and and yeah. friendships that endured. As well as being a player, you're also a keen spectator, and I know there's a story in there that involves a double-decker bus. Yeah, well, I, I was um, I went over to um, to the UK and and um, had a um, played a bit of rugby over there, um, and in '89 um, when the All Blacks were touring Wales and Ireland, um, I had the opportunity to get um, about 25 tickets for every every game. Um, thanks to some uh, really generous West Coast connections, and um, thought, what do you do with that many tickets? So, I, um, a friend of mine from uh, from Greymouth, we um, hired a double decker bus and um, sold seats on the bus and took everyone round round Wales and Ireland for eight or nine weeks or however it was, and, and uh, had an absolute um, whale of a time. Um, didn't get into too much trouble. Played a bit of rugby. And we had, we organised a game against Galway Universities. Um, but it was, it was great to be on tour with the All Blacks and uh, at that time when, uh, particularly with that All Black team, they were fantastic, you know, fantastic rugby. So that was, yeah, that was good fun. So back in the day, winding right forward now to 16 September 2020, where you lead the building consent team at Christchurch City Council. What keeps you awake at night, Buster? What keeps me awake at night? Keeping up with change is one thing, and frustration at change not not happening fast enough um, worries me. Um, I think back to um, a, a time when one of the local politicians said there was more there was more um, consumer guarantee around buying a bottle of milk than there was building a house mm-hmm. in New Zealand. Um, and that was probably around 2000, and I look at that statement now and I think, what's changed? You know, I look at all the measures that have been put in place around accreditation, around building legislation and what have you, and I still don't feel any of these test the output of um, of the quality that they're designed to to establish, you know, people people misunderstand the building code, and in my view, in terms of it, you know, it's the bottom line. It's it's um, don't fall below here, you'll be in real trouble, um, and not enough people aim aim high enough above it. So um, yeah, that 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 for me um, is a wee bit is a wee bit sad. Um, I look at the government struggling to keep up with change in some respects. Um, the um, Various iterations, you know, of government say, oh, we're listening, but um, we don't see the change happening. You know, we, we, we're not looking forward enough in terms of um, having a, a, a aspirational building code, you know. I look at the changes to H1 that are just being promulgated now and going, you know, this is, um, this is silly. We should have had these in, in, you know, 10, 15 years ago, like just in Europe, you know, where they will set goals for the insulation levels of buildings for, uh, you know, 5, 10, 15, 25 years ahead so that the supply chain can see what the government's intention is and get behind that. Um, so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm 
still think our yeah, buildings could be the buildings that we build could be much better. I do realise that um, a lot of that's about money. You know, I, I spent um, Christmas in Melbourne, went to the Boxing Day test. Not that I'm a great cricket fan, but first time in 30 years, Kiwis had the Boxing Day test at the MCG, so it was an event worth being at. Um, and I looked at the architecture in Melbourne and I just go, you know, why, why doesn't ours look like this? And it, it's got to be the money. You know the 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 um, the money isn't there to invest in in, in that sort of um, uh, design quality in, in in my view. And you know, particularly watching the rebuild of Christchurch, there there is a huge amount of opportunities. But that's all well and fine from coming from a guy who doesn't have to put his money where his mouth is and build these things. Um, we just got to make sure they don't fall over a leak, um, because it you know a different a different challenge. So falling over, leaking you know, meeting the fire safety standards, I mean, the trend in building defect claims that I'm seeing beyond leaky buildings, which was 20 years ago and endures, sadly, uh, a fire and structural are the new kind of hot building defect aspects of claims coming in our doors. How are you managing and aiming to prevent, you know, defective buildings being built with fire and structural code not being met? Um, the, the the passive fire is is interesting because unlike um, leaky buildings, there hasn't been a great test. You know, so um, you know, I suppose the ironic thing about that in this city is that you know the Ballantines fire is probably one of the you know most recent um, losses of life, and that was you know um, 60, 70 years ago. So. Um, what we're surmising here is that when we're deconstructing buildings, we're finding these defects, and people are suggesting that they, if they were tested, they wouldn't perform. So that's a wee bit different to leaky buildings. We know that they haven't performed because I can take the wall lining off and show you all the mould and where the water's got in, um, so that the, the test is a wee bit a wee bit simpler. Um, there, although the, the test on the fire one could be catastrophic. Um, it does look on the face of it, though, a lot of shortcuts get taken. So, you know, it, for me, it's been around... Uh, um, we, we've tried to focus on two things, um, relationships and tra- staff training. So we've put a lot of effort into, into training uh, our staff, and we are pretty fortunate here to have a specialised commercial inspection unit so we're able to focus our training in in one area. We bring Auckland experts down usually every year to do established training and and, um, uh, um, refresher training. It's also working with the um, constructors up up front to make sure that we all understand um, what's expected from the the build. So uh, uh, having that having that understanding and not relying on um, something written on a set of plans, but at startup time, get the specification, go through the specification with the uh, people who are responsible for it on site, and making sure that we're all um, on the same page with what's expected and what's required, how things are going to be managed and, and carried out. I think also one, one of the things we've learned. Uh, um, probably this year 
or in the last couple of years is also spending more time and looking at who's actually doing the work that's become critical as well so you know typically you'll get thrown a name who's got to sign something um, we need to go beyond that and go okay so who's that person what do they know about it who's actually doing the work that's where for me you need to get to is uh, who's the person who's fitting the product and how have they been trained uh, what's their history um, and what's their knowledge and what's their competence is where you're trying to get to so you need to establish that competence to give you confidence that it's going to go right uh, <clears throat> music to my ears as a you know liability insurance lawyer for councils because the scrutinizing of the paperwork is so key and that's what the high court has said it's not simply a matter of collecting those pieces of paper producer statements and other certification from the installers and the supervisors the council has to be satisfied as you know on reasonable grounds and that's a good topic in itself so there it is folks part one of two in buster's uh, interview with rice spear thanks again to our friends at maynard marks for helping bring this podcast together we really couldn't do it without them Uh, And don't forget to check back on the 20th of next month to hear Buster bring it home. Uh, The second part of the interview is well worth the wait. We'll see you next month.